throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome closer to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. This is Jordan Muela coming at you. Today, I am talking with Alex Nig, the CEO of Properly. I was introduced to Alex via Mickey over at Vector Travel, one of the co-founders of Rented.com. Alex is doing some really interesting stuff within the short-term um, property management space. Some things that I think have some pretty strong parallels in terms of organizing and managing some of the trickier labor pieces. So we're going to do a deep dive on what properly is and does, and uh, hopefully you guys will have some big takeaways from it. Alex, thanks for coming on the podcast. Jordan, thanks very much for having me. All right, Alex, let's start here. What is properly? What does the company do? Um, we, properly is a platform to manage um, short-term mm-hmm. rentals, specifically to manage the day-to-day operations on-site. Um, so there's really three components to it. The first component is we help our customers set up standard operating procedures, um, anything from maintenance standard operating procedures to turn cleaning standard operating procedures. Um, the second part is we provide software the, to manage workflows. And the third part is we provide a whole series of services. Most importantly, uh, we have a global network of about 10,000 service providers um, around the world that's expanding rapidly. Um, so people can start plugging in um, our service providers to complement <laughs> to complement the existing service providers, as well as we have payment and incentive management systems. All right. Talk to me about the, the rate of change within the short-term rental space. Obviously, with the rise of Airbnb, there's a general awareness that there's a lot of change going on. But could you just describe the velocity of change that you've seen within the industry within the last two years relative to when you first got into this space? Yeah, I think the sort of biggest change is that the industry is becoming mainstream. Uh, if you sort of look at the global lodging industry, um, the um, what we're seeing is the industry is growing rapidly. Private accommodation today is about 20% of the total industry. It's growing much faster than the rest of the industry. The biggest change in the industry is there's a massive flight to quality. You sort of think back of the, of the early beginnings, it's basically ed, like you know, renting an air mattress in the living room. Today, what people expect um, with the convergence of private accommodation with the rest of the lodging industry, they really expect the services, the quality, the consistency of a hotel in the format of private accommodation, as in they want a bigger space, they want great location, they want um, obviously a kitchen. Um, those are all the advantages of private accommodation, but they also want clean, white, crisp sheets. They don't want cockroaches in the kitchen. Um, they want an easy check-in experience. Um, yeah, so if they want the, the, sort of the quality and the consistency they expect from a hotel in the package of private accommodation. Right. So parallel with that would be the change in the actual ownership. Airbnb no longer is in general mom and pop operators with a spare room. What percentage of inventory on a platform like Airbnb do you think is professionally managed as opposed to a guy with a spare room? That's a very closely held secret because it doesn't jive so well with the image of some of the platforms, mm-hmm. which is yeah, sort of the individual host. Um, I think if you look at HomeAway um, for their platform, it's quite well known that at least 50% of the inventory is, um, is um, professionally managed. And I think for Airbnb, we're certainly approaching that, if not more so. Um, that's in terms of inventory. If you look at actual revenues, I would assume that the majority of revenues come from, from, from professionally managed places because they typically um, are much more available than the individual host. 
an individual host, I think, on Airbnb, what you sort of see is something from 30 to 60 days availability per year, while the professional managers typically 365 days of availability. So if you look at the revenue picture, I would assume the majority of all of the platforms is professionally managed. And then, of course, Booking.com, which is the, the platform that's growing the fastest and um, is gaining market share from everyone. Um, they are, I think, almost exclusively, if not exclusively, professionally managed. Got it. So the dichotomy of perception here is that on the one hand, there's a consumer perception and maybe a, a platform desire to project a bespoke, one-off, very kind of homey experience, when the reality is the inverse is exactly what you said. When it comes to service quality, there's nothing bespoke about dirty sheets, right? The, the service quality expectation are that of professional management. This is where a company like Properly comes in to provide the infrastructure that historically has been lacking. So can you just kind of contrast what is properly displacing? What, what has been the alternative in terms of uh, how the use cases have been solved before a player like you has entered the market? I mean, really what we put in place is a system to put all the different pieces together. So in the past, what you do have to have, I mean, with individual hosts, it's often the owner cleaning the unit themselves. Um, and that can be amazing and it can be not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, like then with property managers, Typically, what you get is, um, remember that the sort of this phenomenon has really grown rapidly in urban areas. Um, so the, the big challenge for the industry is uh, you're basically taking, there is no stock of hospitality cleaners um, ready for this industry. Like it didn't exist a few years ago. Um, yeah, sort of hotels have employees, um, housekeeping staff, um, but there is no such thing as a hospitality cleaner for the Airbnb industry. So typically what you get is residential cleaners um, that come from a residential cleaning background and are pulled into this industry. Um, many of them, uh, so there's obviously there's a lot of turn in the industry. So I think the typical um, the typical tenure that we see is nine months. So there is a sort of very quick hiring and rehiring cycle going on. So what you can imagine from that is it's it's a mess because you basically get people who come from a residential cleaning background who have to quickly be trained to do hospitality cleaning, which is an entirely different beast. Um, in residential cleaning, you don't check what the previous guest left under the bed. You don't throw away the half-eaten chicken from the from the fridge. You, you know, sort of you don't check whether someone left something in uh, in um, in the nightstand. You know, sort of all those little things that are critical for, and of course, you don't change the sheets. All the little things that are critical for hospitality cleaning don't apply in residential cleaning. So you have to go in, retrain a customer base, or like re- retrain your supplier base. Um, and you have to do that to exacting standards because in a residential cleaning environment, it's sort of the like the, the issue isn't that big. If you don't like something, you just mm-hmm. tell your cleaner to do it differently next time, and big deal. Um, in a hospitality background, um, it's it's really high stakes. So there's a big task ahead for the industry. And then, of course, the biggest part of it is that every house is unique. Um, in hotels, like a hotel room is specifically constructed to make cleaning as easy as possible and as standard as possible. Everything is standard issue. The coffee maker looks exactly the same in every room. Um, everything can be easily replaced. Um, in, res- in, in our industry, every home is unique. Every, u- every home has its own unique challenges. Um, so quality assurance becomes, and sort of just doing a job in a standard way becomes a much, much bigger challenge. So aside from the fact that you have a single use case that you're trying to solve for, what makes properly uniquely qualified to take on this significant need? 
Well, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things. Like, number one, it's the industry is just starting. So um, no one's really developed anything for this industry. So there's nothing out there. Hotels have housekeeping software, um, but no one's built the equivalent of housekeeping maintenance software um, for this industry until we and then very, very few other companies came along. Um, so instead of putting a system into place that can allow a property manager to manage a property for short-term rental needs um, with rapidly changing service providers um, and create standard operating procedures, it just hasn't been out there. So what was there before? It was basically a hodgepodge of um, paper checklists, um, text messages, um, Excel spreadsheets for dispatch. Um, sort of some, like there's PMS management software, property management systems, but they're typically focused really on just managing the booking. So in terms of the actual property care, the actual property management, there was really nothing other than Excel spreadsheets, text messages, um, written instructions, um, as of a couple of notes and a piece of paper. What is the size of the company right now? Give me some parameters for what properly it looks like today. I mean, we have about 40 employees worldwide. Um, as I said, we operate globally. So our main our headquarters is in San Francisco, California. Um, our main development office is in Wellington, New Zealand. Our second, like very quickly growing development office is in Pune, India. And then we have a business development and sales office in Barcelona, Spain. Um, we have a customer base um, all around the world and we do tens of thousands of turns every month. Got it. Okay. So you definitely got some scale here to be working through. Talk to me about the maintenance side of things. I get the, the ongoing turns from cleaning, but in terms of maintenance, how often do those events come up and what type of job is most likely going to occur in the context of maintenance? Well, it's maintenance is anything from the sort of small incidents of which there is a lot, you know, sort of anything from the faucets leaking, the toilet doesn't flush, the sort of, you know, sort of typical handyman jobs, and they happen all the time, um, to um, sort of more standard routine things like, you know, sort of in certain areas, snow removal that has to be scheduled, um, gardening upkeep, um, to the bigger problems when something big is actually broken that needs a professional tradesman, such as an electrician, a plumber, locksmith. Um, yes, if those are all the typical problems that occur, it's just like maintaining any other property. And you're uh, saying that the property will solve for all of those use cases from a loose uh, sink to HVAC? So what we do right now is we focus on handyman. This is sort of like we have, um, we basically focus on small maintenance jobs. Okay. What you'll be seeing us do soon is um, we will start offering networks of other qualified service providers, such as electricians and plumbers and locksmiths. I mean, those are sort of the big three categories. Um, right now, what we do is small maintenance. I mean, and it's when I'm saying we is we're basically a marketplace that allows um, service providers that work for others of our customers to make themselves available to all of them. Um, so what we do is right now, we mostly focused on um, sort of handyman jobs, small maintenance. Got it. So guys, for those of you listening at home, this is in large part why I wanted to have Alex on. You may have heard me talk in the past about organizing disparate labor forces. I see no reason that this cannot be the future of our industry. One of the biggest pain points for those in third-party single-family long-term residential is coordinating maintenance vendors. There's a total huge range, a wide range in terms of the quality, the consistent consistency oftentimes isn't there. It can be a bit of a mess. But if you can coordinate Uber drivers, if you can coordinate um, people that are doing the cleaning of the unit, why couldn't you do that with maintenance? So Alex, let's start here. Talk to me about how coordinating the handyman is different than the home cleaner. 
Well, it's, I mean, typically the home cleaner is always a one-time job. Like it's sort of typically it's a standard operating procedure. It's the same thing. You go in, you do the same thing. You have a stall time, you have a finish time. Um, with the handyman, it's a little bit more complicated. There's, um, it depends on what the issue is. It can be an urgent issue that needs to be resolved in a non-scheduled way. As in the guests complain, something needs to be taken care of right away. So it's basically an emergency call out. Um, so that's a different use case. Um, also, you typically sort of start with um, the person who finds the problem, which can either be the guest or can be the, the cleaner. Um, the, then that person reports it and then like, the sort of diagnosis then goes from there where you have to figure out what's the problem, who needs to be called out. Is it an easy maintenance job so you just send a handyman or the cleaner can maybe fix it themselves? Um, or do you have to um, do you have to dispatch someone professional or licensed? Um, so if it's like the first part is the triage, um, as in what needs to happen. Second part then is um, like sort of what's the solution for it? Um, typically, small jobs um, are automatically taken care of, care of by the property manager, and the owner is just built for them. Versus bigger jobs um, that can re like that can require a conversation with the owner on what they what they'd like the solution to be. Like the, the job gets bid out. Um, so there's a different process depending on what the what the like sort of what the problem could be. Got it. So we're separating out maintenance coordination from from the technician that's actually doing the work. And what in terms of the technician side, how do you QA the quality of the job? I mean, the like sort of couple of things that are built into our standard operating procedures is the very first one is um, the property manager typically sets up a standard operating procedure that could include like that could include sort of a final check. Um, we typically submit um, verification photos, or the um, the service provider is required to submit verification photos. So if something stripping, leaking, anything, they'll take a before and after photo and submit it right away to the um, like to the uh, to the owner or to the property manager, we sort of have a partner mode where you can share that um, between an owner and the property manager so they can both see it. Um, same thing goes for receipts, invoices. Um, they can share it easily through the platform by just taking a photo of the receipt or for the invoice. Um, so the QA process is typically... Um, if it's a simple job, um, you just submit a verification photo. If it's a complex job, then you may dispatch an inspector afterwards. Now, because this is short-term, are these maintenance jobs typically happening while a guest is present or not present? I mean, it very much depends on the nature of the job. If it's a serious issue, then it'll be taken care of right away. Um, if, if it's a longer-term issue, as in sort of the toilet had a couple of problems that needs to be replaced, um, then it'll like, so the longer-term solution will be in between turns, like in between one guest day and the next one. So what is the secret sauce on your end to actually find and coordinate these handymen? Handymen is a great example of a dysfunctional labor force that acts irrationally, right? The guy swinging the hammer is oftentimes willing to do it cheap enough that he's not really making much margin and it causes problems with, uh, with, with proper businesses per se, businesses that need enough margin and have more infrastructure to survive. But the problem with that guy swinging a hammer is that it's very transient, right? Very unreliable. What is the secret sauce in managing these folks? Well, so let me sort of broaden this because we sort of don't differentiate in terms of performance management. We don't differentiate between the handyman and the um, and the cleaner. We do it across the board. But I'll give you sort of a couple of ideas on how we currently manage it. The first one is um, we looked at reviews and we noticed that you, reviews often don't, don't don't really give you the full story. Um, as in, they tend to be very polarized. Like e people either give a one star or five star, don't give any review at all. So what we look at is something that we think is much more indicative of of quality and performance, which is we look at rehire rate. 
So for every mm-hmm. service provider on our platform, we look at two parameters. One is negative rehire rate, as in we look at people who have been used once and never again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we look at positive rehire rate, which is the sort of the, the first call provider, as in if someone is used by the same customer again and again and again, that's a very, very strong indication of quality. Um, the second thing we do is, um, and then all of that affects ranking in our marketplace. The, the second thing we do is we look at some basic quality parameters as in on-time arrival. Do they come when they say they come? Um, do they stay for the appointed time? Um, what's their cancellation rate? And then most importantly, is it short-term cancellations? You know, it's one thing if you say you're going to show up five days from now and then five days before you cancel. It's another thing if you don't show up on the day or if you cancel within 24 hours. Um, the next thing we look at is we look at to what extent they actually complete the checklist, the task that was required. Um, there's checklist items that they need to complete, and that's set by the property manager. And then, of course, there's verification photos that need to be submitted. And there's an instant feedback loop on the verification photos where the property manager gives a thumbs up or thumbs down um, on each item plus a comment. So we look at the ratio of um, thumbs up to thumbs down. So that all of those we use as quality parameters. Um, for most of them, it's automated. So we basically basically have a 100% rating base um, since every job gets rated on those criteria. So we get a pretty good sense of who's good and who's not good, particularly around rehire rate, because we get a sense of who's being used again. Hey, Daniel Craig here with Profit Coach. You've probably heard Jordan talk on the podcast about the NARPM accounting standards that we authored on behalf of NARPM. This groundbreaking initiative standardizes financial reporting for the property management industry, and we're committed to helping as many companies as possible get on the standard this year. If you'd like to get converted, we'd love to help with one of our two conversion packages. The first gets you converted on a go-forward basis only, and the second actually converts you on a historical basis going back two full years, and that comes with a comprehensive financial performance report that provides a deep-dive analysis of your financial performance in over 30 financial KPIs and compares your performance to key industry financial benchmarks. Go to pmprofitcoach.com forward slash NAS for details. And be sure to mention this ad for a special 10% off discount. That's pmprofitcoach.com forward slash NAS. So using those filters totally makes sense, but it assumes that you have enough volume to actually really scrub the labor market. How do you pull in a large base of vendors to be able to aggressively filter? Well, sort of that's sort of part of the secret sauce. And again, the, the mainstay of what we do is right now is with um, with the turn with cleaning. Um, the way our vendor base comes in is it's basically the current providers that our the, the users of our software are using. So sort of think of it, it's 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 a viral loop. Um, someone uses typically a typical user of our software has providers and uses our software to manage them. Um, sort of as they use our software to manage the existing providers, they're all contractors and they're typically not fully occupied. They work for multiple people. Um, then those those service providers become available on our platform and so on and so forth. So it grows from there. Sort of that's wow. why we haven't we haven't spent a single cent on acquiring the ten thousand or so service providers and companies that we have on the platform so far. All of that is basically being contributed by our user base. Got it. Wow, this is fascinating. So guys, for those of you listening at home, think property meld. 
Ray Hespen, if you're listening to this, I know you've thought about what, what you're talking about right now. So the question I got to ask, Alex, like it's just so interesting, fascinating. And it makes sense that you're doing this within the context of short-term rentals. What about long-term? Is that on your radar screen? Do you envision getting there at some point? Yeah, I mean, it, it is. Like as a startup company, we need to focus. Um, of yes, course. Like we have 40 people right now, we're incredibly busy. Um, having said that, um, we have been approached by some long-term, by some large software providers in the long-term space, um, beginning from the sort of what I mentioned earlier, the sort of convergence between long-term and short-term rentals. Um, but we definitely see an opportunity there, and it's something that we're looking at very, very closely, potentially with some partners. So we're looking very closely at some of the software providers in the long-term space and how we can um, make our offering complementary to theirs. All right. So let's talk about software. You brought it up, the logistics, the paperwork, all the organization. Does that happen entirely within a properly framework within your software or do you integrate with other softwares within the, the vertical that you're currently in with short term? In our vertical, we very much integrate. Um, so we integrate with two types of players. Um, we integrate with the PMS system. So that's the property management system in short-term rentals that would be you know, sort of the usual suspects would be companies like um, HomeAway Software, V12, Escapia, um, BookingSync, Guesty, um, Cyrus, Maxton. So there's a lot of them. There's about 400 of them. In the long-term rental space, it would be companies, um, obviously, such as RealPage. Um, Absolio, Buildium, Rent Manager. Um, sort of those, those are the real, like the usual suspects in that space. The sort of second type of entity that we integrate with is um, the platforms themselves. So we have direct integrations with Airbnb and HomeAway, and um, we're in the final stages of completing an integration with Booking.com. And we also, of course, we integrate with everyone who, who supports iCal. Um, so that allows us to pull the, the booking data out of the, um, out of the reservation platforms. Um, the third area, and that's an area that we're just starting on, is we are also integrating with um, smart home software providers. Um, so we can start integrating with some of the devices, like, you know, sort of be that the thermostat, be that the smart lock, of course, which is a, which is a big issue. Um, and there we've um, announced some time ago an integration. Um, we support the Amazon Alexa platform. And um, the reason why I'm mentioning Alexa in the context of um, smart home is because that's increasingly becoming a hub um, through which you can then control all the rest of your devices. Well, let's talk about smart tech for a moment. Smart tech is a great example where there's a lot of promise and there's a lot of disappointment. It's not that that far from saying machine learning or AI. Intellectually, you grant there's something there, but when you actually try and grasp on it, it's pretty elusive. What is the smart tech that actually matters in your space and that people are really getting meaningful ROI from? I think the obvious one in our space is the lock. Um, you know, guests have to get in and out of the property and um, going through some method of key exchange is a pain in the neck. Um, so the easiest thing is to provide the key code to the guest um, and um, having a smart lock with that where you can obviously change the, or the, the lock chain, like the, the code changes every time. And we can also remote control the lock, the lock is, um, is one key application area. I think another application area is the thermostat. Um, since these properties aren't always occupied, um, let's sort of think ski resorts or sort of weekend kind of markets, um, it doesn't make any sense to heat the place throughout the rest of the week um, if the guests are checking in on Friday. So there's significant savings that can be managed by, um, by sort of smartly heating the place when the guest arrives or a few hours before the guest arrives and then stop to heat um, or to air conditioning before, like right after the guest leaves. 
So those are some of the obvious ones. Um, there's a bunch of other application areas that are becoming interesting. I think one sort of recurring headache for everyone is safety-related issues such as changing batteries in smoke detectors. Um, there's, I think, sort of a Murphy's Law that the smoke detector battery will always run out at 2 o'clock in the morning and start beeping right then and there and wake up the guests um, and um, sort of having a good schedule on managed, managing those um, is, is difficult. I mean, for whatever reason, it, it never seems to quite happen. Um, so having connected um, smoke detectors that can both um, sort of alert someone when there is an event, but also they can alert you when the batteries are running low, all of those things um, sort of have near-term promise. And I think you know, smart lock is by far the biggest one. I think next will be thermostat, and then the next, will be, next area will be a series of other smart home services around that. So when folks choose to outsource to working with properly as opposed to doing it in-house, I mean, what, what occurs to me is that it makes sense for a smaller player. The more upmarket you go, there's always going to be a tendency to bring those functions in-house. Is the argument or the pitch for somebody using properly, is it more about... Um, an efficient management of, of the cost, or is it more about that you're going to pay a bit of a premium, but it's all about the consistency of quality? How do owners, how do companies, property management companies justify the ROI of outsourcing this really core function of the business? Yeah, I mean, so let me correct one thing. We actually don't typically argue that they should outsource anything. Um, what we do is we provide a framework for them to manage all of their in-house services. Um, oh, and then, got it. Okay. Then, but what, like, you know, it's, it's a one-two thing. Um, what tends to happen is that because the labor force changes so, so quickly, um, mm -hmm. you know, at the, I would say almost all of our customers, when they first start using properly, they use our software to manage their existing providers. So mm -hmm. it can be 100% in-house. But then over time, because the labor force in this market changes or churns relatively quickly, um, over time they have additional hiring needs. Um, they typically have hiring needs very, very quickly, and then they can choose on whether they would find their own sub service providers and then manage them through properly or find service providers from our platform. And we're like open to that. Um, you can use us just as a set of standard operating procedures. You can use us as software. And then, of course, you can use us as a marketplace for service providers if and when the need arises. So did you get any pushback around property management companies not necessarily wanting to give access to their vendors to other companies within the network? Um, not, not really, because what we do is, I mean, it, it sort of depends on what your relationship with your vendor is. Um, if it's an employee, then of course, we, like, it's, sort of, it's, the, it's the vendor's choice on whether they want to make themselves available in the marketplace or not. Um, it's not we who determine this, it's the vendor who opts in or out. So if it's an employee, of course, they don't opt into the marketplace because they're employed, and that's that. Um, if it's an outside vendor, we actually get um, the opposite increasingly that um, many of the property managers that or several of the property managers that we work with, they are concerned about um, the issue around misclassifying contractors for employees. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, it's like not like misclassifying contractors. Mm -hmm. um, the what we do is yes, yeah, so we provide everyone like these. The, if they are contractors, then they are making themselves available to others. You know, many of those markets are very seasonal. Um, we are never going to be in like in the middle between a property manager and their contractors because the like you know property managers in their service area typically are the largest like you know the property manager is the largest source of income for a service provider. 
So that service provider is going to go back to that property manager because that's where the money comes from. Now, during the off-season, outside the normal turn schedule, that's when they look for additional jobs and that's when they come to our platform. And the property manager is typically very happy with that um, because, number one, it's proof that they actually really are contractors. They're not just working for one entity. And number two, it allows them sort of to spread their income beyond the sort of typical 10 to 2 turnover time that a property manager can offer. Got it. Okay, so I get it. So you could even really argue that this would allow for a, a potentially an even more stable relationship between contractor and property manager by allowing them to kind of augment their income with that, that stuff in, in between the gaps, one-off jobs. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, remember, like we never get in between the service provider and the property manager, as in we, um, we are platforms. So if that service provider wants to make themselves available, they will do so. If they're an employee, then of course they will not do so. It would be actually a really dumb thing for them to do so because the property manager will see it instantaneously. They'll see, you know, if the employees list themselves on our platform, the property manager will see it right away and they'll have a, call, they'll have a word with them about that. Um, so yeah, as if it's an entirely transparent platform. Hey guys, this is Jordan, your show host, and also one of the founders of the Tribe Mastermind. I just wanted to give you guys a little shout out to let you know that we got something special going on with Tribe Mastermind. This is a high level mastermind for property management entrepreneurs that are interested in talking about the big picture. Yes, most certainly business, the tactical, the strategic, but also the big why behind why we're on this journey together. So if you're interested in learning more about Tribe, what this mastermind looks like, you can get more details at tribemastermind.com. Check it out. Love to see you there. So you're taking on a lot of challenges here, just backing up and looking at this from a, a classic startup model. You're doing service, you're doing software and a two-sided marketplace. Alex, you seem like a bit of a glutton for punishment. Talk to me about starting a two-sided marketplace. What side of the marketplace did you most aggressively seed? And, and geographically, where did you start? Well, so the, like, that's sort of the nice part about our model. It's, uh, it's a software-driven marketplace, as in we sell our software just like you'd sell any other software. So anywhere in the world where we have a property manager using our software, um, sort of they, they use our software with their, cur with their current service providers. Um, the way our marketplace works is we focus on the supply side first. Um, we think that there's um, constraints on the supply side. Um, typically, the way we do this is um, we have two models. Um, the main sort of supply acquisition model for us is um, individual hosts. So for individual hosts, we give away, sort of in many cases, we give away the software for free. So we don't really care, the, care about them paying us for the software. They, their contribution to the network is really that they, they contribute to their service providers. Um, one of the interesting findings that we've had is that the individual hosts actually happen to have the best service providers around. And if you sort of think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, they are, it's their own home, so they take great pride and care about their home, meaning they, they select their service providers mm -hmm. very, very carefully, and they manage them very closely. Um, the second thing that's great about their service providers is they're very, very available. Um, so if that goes to the question you just asked me a second ago, a property manager, they will use their service providers, at least during the season, they'll occupy a big chunk of their time, meaning that they will not be so available for the rest of the marketplace. That's not the case for an individual host. An individual host, if they're busy, they need a service provider once a week. 
meaning that service provider probably has 15 or so slots per week. That means the other 14 are empty and they'd be very, very happy to take jobs from others. So for us, the sort of the way of populating the marketplace is we do that through individual hosts, like that's where we get the supply from. And then demand comes from the property managers. What about geography? What has guided your path of what markets to tackle and what order? I mean, we what we've been doing is, I mean, obviously we're based in North America, so the U.S. was an easy market for us, and um, we have a good following in sort of some of the major areas in the U.S. Um, we also we've had a distribution relationship with Airbnb for a while, um, where they've been distributing us in twelve markets around the world. So those are markets where we saw strong growth. Um, now we're sort of really spread the same way that the market shapes out and uh, the the market is about 40-50% of the global vacation rental market, short-term rental market is in Europe, about 25% is in the US and then the remaining 25% is spread around the rest of the world. So for us, the big areas of concentration are Europe, um, US is still number one and then Australia um, is, a, is a big and important market for us. So just to be clear, you have no boots on the ground in, in the majority of these markets. Is that correct? We have no boots on the ground in any of those markets. Fascinating. That is amazing that you're doing this key function for the business. So the, the reason it's, it's mind-blowing to me is because the traditional property management perception is if I'm growing my management business and I want to launch in a new market, I need to physically be there to do inspections. I need to physically be there to do maintenance, etc. There's a lot of hangups around being able to service quality. You mentioned that you're using these various tools and instruments to kind of dial in on quality. Anything else that you would that you would um, add in terms of just for a for a management company thinking about expanding? This sounds like a great solution to increase their ability to to add to their footprint. Fair. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, that's actually that's one of the value propositions that we offer. We go to management companies and we say, awesome, you are the leading provider, say, in Austin, Texas right now. Um, but you want to move to Dallas. Guess what? We have a network of service providers in Dallas that you can plug into right away. Or you can bring your own. Um, sort of the advantage is that um, the service providers that we can refer you to in those markets, they're all using our software platform already, so they're familiar with using the app. Um, they, we have their quality metrics, as in we see how quickly they respond, whether they show up for jobs, um, how often they get rehired. So we can literally sort of provide you the ability to expand wow. in a box. Wow, I'm saying it right now. This will happen in the long-term market. It's only a matter of time. Mark my words. Let's close with talking about unit economics. Talk to me about pricing and how uh, on a, a, a ticket by ticket or work order by work order basis. How does this work? What does it cost? So our overall model is um, sort of remember again we have three like three legs to the to the stool so to speak. First one is standard operating procedures. The standard operating procedures we have two models. Um, the main model is bring your own, as in the property manager has standard operating procedures. Um, the second model is we can help them build them, so that we can you know we've got now forty thousand or so checklists that have been built by our customers. Um, for any kind of use case from maintenance jobs to um, to uh, cleaning jobs. So we can, we sort of have our own consulting group internally that can help someone set up their standard operating procedures. So that's sort of on a like sort of initial setup charge. Um, the second leg to our stool is the software. And the software price on a, on a SaaS basis. Um, so it's a monthly charge of um, a few dollars per listing per month. 
Um, and then the last leg of the stool is um, services that we provide. We're just about to launch payment services. Payment services is actually an interesting product um, that we see a lot of demand for, and we are running two pilots in the next three weeks. Um, payment services means we will take over payment of their contractors for, this, for the property manager. And we can do that either as payment consolidation. So, you know, then they pay us once or twice a month um, or once a week. Um, and then we pay the cleaners 24 hours after each job is done or we pay the maintenance person immediately. The second part that we think is even more important is we have a performance management system built in. Um, through the app, we get a whole number of performance metrics on whether the person showed up on time, how reliable they are, whether they covered all the tasks. And we basically pay a base rate on behalf of the property managers and then a bonus um, if the job is done well. And the property manager sets the rules and we basically look at whether the rules were followed and it's always it's a yes or no answer. If it's a yes, then they get the bonus. If it's a no, they don't get the bonus. Um, and the last part is the actual marketplace. And there it's a percentage of revenue that the service provider will pay to us um, if we find them jobs. It's the service provider that pays. It's the service providers that pays. That's exactly right. Got it. Wow. Fascinating. Um, I could go on and on with you about this. This is really insightful. Like I said, I think it's only a matter of time before this comes to long-term residential. I want to close asking you a question I ask every single guest. Alex, in your opinion, are entrepreneurs born or bred? <laughs> it's, um, I think, born and bred. It's sort of a cop-out of an answer. Um, Born, I mean, as I was speaking of myself, my dad was an entrepreneur. So, um, so there must have been something in the genes. Um, the, the bread part is I spent most of my professional career in Silicon Valley. And I sort of, I, I noticed the difference. Like if you're surrounded by other people that start companies, um, it just makes it so much easier because it's what everybody else is doing. Um, then if you're in a difficult, if you're in a different environment where everybody else has a nine to five job. Um, so it's, I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, I get that. I get the born part. I get the modeling part too on the bread though. For me, certainly the models and the mentors that I had were instrumental. Alex, if folks want to follow the company and follow you personally, what's the best place for them to go online? Um, easiest place is to find us online and it's get properly, G E T get properly.com. All right. Are you working on buying the properly.com domain? <laughs> no, we've actually, I mean, we have got get properly in all kinds of variations all around the world. So um, we're happy with that. And uh, properly is a very easy name to remember. So just remember you want to get us, get, get properly. Getproperly.com guys, check it out. Check them out online. Alex, thanks again for coming on the show. John, thank you very much for having me. Very much enjoyed it.